Welcome to the Ben Racky Fitness Show. backstory you want a little backstory here yeah just uh, yeah i want uh, i want to i want to get a little get a little intro get a little uh little background on on adam neff yeah yeah so uh my name is adam neff and uh i have been involved with weight training and fitness in general since i've been 12 years old so uh, a little over 16 years hard to believe uh got into the weight room for specifically football track uh, just to get better at sports in general, uh, ended up falling in love with weight training more than uh, the sports aspect. Uh, went to college, went to uh, Capital University for one year, got hooked up with a couple of people who were doing some natural bodybuilding stuff, uh, transferred to Wright State University here in Dayton. And uh, that's when I competed in my first bodybuilding show, 2014. Um, and then at the age of 19, I started training general population clients and started online coaching as well. Um, and then I've also worked with the adapted recreation at Wright State, as well as the strength and conditioning facility. Um, and then after I had graduated from Wright State with my bachelor's in sports science, I moved down to Cincinnati where I was a, a trainer at uh, Sensi 360 Fitness and the Jewish Community Center for about five years um, until I had saved up enough money to start the, uh, the lift lab here in, uh, tip city. Um, but I think like a lot of people get too, um, lost into the weeds and they try to hop from one thing to the next thing without actually realizing if they have been tracking the metrics that they want to be progressing. Sure. Um, and then just whatever type of system that you are using for hypertrophy, for fat loss, for strength gains, that you just stay consistent with that system. Right. You know? For long enough to like at least get a result. Yep. Yep. And then say, hey, I did this, this system for six months. Um, I've been intrigued by this other person's system or this other company's system. I'm going to try that for the next six months and compare and contrast. Sure. And you'll just be able to zoom back out and pick out pieces that you're like, yeah, I like this. This worked really well for this muscle group. Maybe it didn't work so well here. And I think as coaches, I mean, we're, we're yeah, like, the, I think it's pretty important that like we're, we kind of are our own guinea pigs to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Now, like, obviously, like, you know, we're, maybe we're not, I, we're not, we're definitely not, you know, going to program obviously exactly how we're doing things for like somebody who's a beginner or even like for, for somebody like you, especially for somebody like me. I think I lost you there. Can you hear me now? Yep. I can hear you now. I, for somebody like, for somebody like you specifically, for somebody like, you know, me as well, you know, you've been training probably twice as long as I have yourself. So like, you know, these, you know, things that are maybe, you know, more advanced or like, it, it, again, like we're not, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna program exactly like we do for ourselves for like somebody who's just coming in or somebody yeah. who's maybe overweight or obese or like maybe has, you know, certain orthopedic stuff, but you know, again, like yeah. that's, that's, that's where like pulling, I think the, the stuff from different systems and like, again, like actually training yourself because like, it's shocking as you know, because you, 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 you studied, you know, the, you studied exercise physiology in school, like did internships, like at, in, co in college weight rooms. And like, obviously, like I know different strength coaches and have been around in that environment as well. Like, you know, there's a lot of like people that in our profession that like, don't like do the things that like they're coaching. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. And they think that it has to be like, Oh, I'm a strength coach. So if I have Sally in here, she's doing strength coach or strength programming or I'm a hypertrophy coach. And, uh, I got 
you know, Joe in here twice a week for 30 minutes, like he probably shouldn't be on a body part split type of program. Like, and then even with advanced individuals, you know, like sometimes man, like things can just be so nuanced that like the client just doesn't want to get into that stuff. And it's like, okay, let's pull back and make a program that's enjoyable for you that you can train really hard with. And that's progressive and starting I think another thing is a lot of people in this industry start volumes way too high. Sure. Um, I always like to start extremely low yeah. and then just track the metrics and make as much progress as we can with as little of wear and tear. So, yeah. And I mean, like that's kind of a, that's kind of a principle that I picked up on from a coach or coaches. I mean, when I first kind of like, you know, probably my first year or two, and personal training was like as little as possible to elicit the most amount of change. Now I can't mm-hmm. say with confidence that my programs were reflecting that <laughs> with myself or with like some of the clients and athletes that I was working with, you know, it was probably, I, I look, I, I look back on it specifically with my, I was for sure doing too much, like, you know, following guys that were like, you know, just doing doing silly amounts of volume and they were doing so they themselves were doing silly amounts of volume because they were enhanced and like could recover from that kind of stuff um but yeah when you take a step back and like look at things like again like you said like even like if somebody's coming in super deconditioned and like they've never trained before like you know a, 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 a an accumulation phase where you're going like through even just starting at a couple sets of 10 on a goblet squat, like <laughs> there's going to be some positive adaptations there. You know, obviously yep. I'm just using yep. that, that as an, ex- as an example, but anyway, we, yeah. we got, we got off on a, we're off to a hot start here. <laughs> Adam, I want you to introduce yeah, yeah. yourself. Before we go there though, I do <clears throat> want to yeah, say go. like kind of looking back at some of the systems that I used to do, like if you think about, uh, during like 2010 to 2013, like that powerlifting type of training was really popular. People were doing, you know, Smolov, Smolov Jr. They're squatting four times a week. They're benching three times a week. And then, of course, just like dumb workouts, like 10, 10 by 10, you know, German volume training and stuff like that. Like, guilty. yeah, I would, looking back at that, I'm like, man, that was just ridiculous. But I will say, it did teach me how to work really fucking hard and that I value. 1000%, 1000%. I mean, I remember some of the, I don't know if you remember like um, uh, some of the muscle farm workouts that like Corey Gregory would, would post like on, do you remember those? Like thousand rep arm, thousand rep arm workouts and like thousand reps. And we would do stuff like that all the time and like I worked out with a group of guys that like that's kind of like what they I mean more than it, there there wasn't any like all right like this is like evidence-based and this is like no it was just like we're going to be the hardest workers we're going to do and we're also going to do the most work and like that was that was the thing so like yeah that but but like you said like during that period of time specifically for me like that, that, that taught me how to, how to push and like how to get uncomfortable. So like pretty much everything that like, you know, we, I I would say that I personally do nowadays, like, you know, again, I have an understanding of like, all right, like, you know, again, like it's just, even we see kids at the facility, like we ask them like, you know, where, how did that feel on a scale one to 10? And like, they're so they're, they don't have that training age and they don't, they, they, they maybe haven't been around like people to like push intensity like that. So they like, they have no idea. They'll tell you that mm-hmm. something's an eight and I can look at it as a coach and be like, that wasn't an eight. No, that was like yeah, a yeah. four or a five. You know what I'm saying? And like, I, I, I use that. I'm just using that as an example. Cause that's like fresh on my brain. Like we have kids every week that come to the facility, you know, high school athletes and stuff. And you ask them about RPEs and they just haven't, they haven't figured it out yet. Now we have some older athletes and maybe some more well-trained, maybe just better, potentially some of the kids are just better athletes too. Uh, Just a little bit stronger and stuff that, you know, kind of push themselves in the weight room and they kind of understand what that feels like, you know, and you can see like, you know, when a, 
when a rep is starting to, you know, when a, when a load on something, when you're watching somebody, when it's starting to like slow down a little bit, yeah. <laughs> like, and they're, and they're grind and they're grinding, like we're starting to get, we're starting to get into those RPEs where, you know, where we want them yeah. to be now, obviously like encouraging good technique and, and that kind of stuff is important. At least it is to me. Cause like no. early, in, early in my training career, um, you know, with, with high school athletics, we didn't have anybody that, you know, had any kind of real experience with that kind of thing or like any yeah. certs or, you know, any kind of like baseline level of knowledge. So like we were doing stuff with probably pretty piss poor technique, you know, and a lot of the stuff that we see now is like, you know, the, it was, it was just that yeah. old school S and C stuff, like knees out, you know, arch the back, you know, like that, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yep. Chest up, butt back, head up, you know, that <laughs> yeah. type of stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. So how are you, how would you take a client or one of these um, athletes that you're working with and how would you get them to, so you start them out, you're starting to ask them about RIRs and RPEs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you get them to feel what like a zero RIR is or a 10 RPE like what kind of methods do you use or progressions do you use to get them to feel that? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just steal the one we did um, the other day with one of our new basketball kids. Um, it was, it was one, um, it was one clay uses. And basically what we did was we did a set of this. It, it was a split squat. The exercise was a split squat, just a dumbbell split squat. And um we were like, all right, let's, let's select a weight that, you know, you know, you can get for 10, but it's going to be like RPE five or, you know, again, RIR five, kind of like, I guess, however, however you want to, however you want to look at it around that, around that, you know, five ish range. So like pretty easy. Um, so he grabs, I don't know whether it was 30 or 35 pound dumbbells, whatever the, whatever the load was hits a set of 10 on each side. All right. Now we're going to go, um, RPE like seven, and we're going to do six reps on each side. Okay. So like second set number two, he grabs, I don't know what, again, like forties or 45 pound dumbbells, whatever it was hits six on each side, you know, is saying like, yeah, that's about a seven. Like, yeah. Okay. So now we're going to take that, that weight that we just did for set number two, and you're going to do as many as you can. And we're going to see, see what you can get where so that, that actually lies. Yep. Yep. So that next set, you can, I'm at, you can probably, you probably know what's, what's going to happen here. He got 17 reps on each leg. And we're like, okay. You know, like yeah. that's, <laughs> you know, like you, you said this was a seven. So again, it's like just kind of stepping in and being like, you know, that was not a seven. <laughs> that was yeah. yep. prob- probably, probably like, why a- I like, if I'm doing a, like a hypertrophy program and I have somebody start at like, let's say three RIR for week one and then have them go up to zero RIR on that last week, mm-hmm. then it's kind of just like that test week. It's like, let's see actually if your three RIRs and your two and your one RIRs actually align to what you can do on this fourth week at zero RIR. And then when they go into their deload week, it's like, okay, now, you know, we can fine tune that technique a little bit, drop that load back. But now we've actually pushed you to a, a threshold of, of you knowing what true failure really is. Right. And yeah, like getting, kind of getting, kind of getting, kind of getting that like overreaching stimulus, which is yeah, kind of, I love that weird. idea though. That yeah. That, was, that, that, that was, well, and then like, so I'm trying to think, how did we do it? So like, then we did a set. So we did a set and then like, clay categorized it and he he probably got this from somebody um or maybe or maybe he came up came with himself this is this is good stuff i need to i need to talk with him about it more but like there was like okay if you only did on your as many as possible set like if you only did one to two reps then you know either take the load down or keep the load the same which like he, he he got six on each side at an rpe seven so like obviously he wasn't going to get just two reps. So like he there's categories for like so then on the so then on the next set. So there there was one more set we did four total sets uh, on the next set. That category where he fell in with how many reps he got on the previous set 
was like, all right, bump the load up like five to 10 pounds for, for getting like 17 reps. He fell into like a 15 to 20, like if you get 15 to 20, then bump the, bump the, bump the load by five to 10 pounds. And I think we bumped it 10. I think he maybe, I think he used 45s. And then I think we bumped it to 55. And then again, on his last set, he got like 15 reps on each leg or 16 reps on each leg. Yeah. Yep. To the point where I was like, all right, See, like that's, that's, a, that's, that's good. And that for something like a, like a split squat, you got to have somebody who's pretty competent with their movement patterns. Sure. So I'm working with a lot of people who are, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, uh, wanting to improve just general well being, add some muscle tissue, that type of stuff. So one thing that I kind of picked up and from the N one was uh, incomplete rest method. Yep. Um, are you familiar with that? Sure. Yeah. So like just doing like if somebody, I'm not going to take them to failure on a pendulum squat or anything like that, but just to get them, let's say after four to six weeks of training with me, once they kind of have some movement patterns down, they're starting to become more neurologically efficient. I might put them on something like a leg extension, a hamstring curl, a chest press, a, ha a hammer row. I might be like, okay, we're going to do six sets of eight. You're only going to get a 30 second rest. And once you hit failure, whether that's the fourth set or maybe it's the fifth set, maybe you hit failure at the end of the sixth set, but you got to do 17 reps, then that's a way for me to kind of get people a little bit more familiar with training to failure, utilizing lower loads, utilizing a stable environment. Um, but again, for uh, people who are, I think, a little bit less neurologically efficient than somebody who's an athlete, for sure. Right, exactly. But I mean, I, I think that's probably a, I think that might be like a, a, a good, like take home point, even for, you know, maybe older lifters or people that are a little bit banged up or like maybe that have like fallen into like the, you know, all right, I'm just like SBD crowd. And like, you know, yeah. instead of, you know, again, maybe instead of taking your your hack squats or your front squats or, you know, whatever Bulgarian split squats, like whatever, whatever kind of like exercise like that, that you're loading a little bit heavier, that might be a little bit more neurologically taxing and just syst systemically fatiguing again, like just sub it in for something where you're, you, again, you are in a stable environment, but you're training the muscle, the, the muscle tissues still to, to that, to that point. I mean, what, what do you, what would you have to say about that? I mean, what, what kind of, I mean, obviously I, I know you, you train like a madman and you're a savage, but like, do you, do you have cycles where you'll do that kind of stuff, kind of stuff yourself where you won't maybe, you know, push a, a pendulum squat to failure or, or, or something like that. Maybe if you, if you feel a little bit more beat up, cause like, honestly, for me, like that's, cause I'm, I, you know, I'm in that weird spot where like, I still want to kind of play basketball and like my patellar tendons and my Achilles tendons take a beating when I do that. So like, I try to do like a little bit of like a little bit of plyo stuff during the week, just so I don't get so flared up when I, when I do play. Um, and I kind of want to dunk a basketball. So kind of want to get a little leaner, but like, I'm also like interested in just like being jacked. Like the, the original reason yeah. I got into like training and fitness was to look better because I grew up a fat kid. So like, that's always a, that's always a, a thing for me. So like, I'm, I'm always interested in, you know, and I just enjoy catching a pump at the end of the day. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Feels good. Feels good to catch that pump. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll go through like typically, like if it's a hypertrophy program, it's usually like a, a three to five week phase. And then of course it's accumulating volume. It's accumulating intensity. As you do that, you're accumulating more fatigue. And then usually I'll just do a traditional type of deload at the end uh, where I'll just reduce loads, reduce volume, reduce sets, reps. Use, usually use something like five plus reps in reserve. Uh, but if I have like specific movements that are causing me issues, I will just swap them out for something else um, usually. And sometimes I might do something where I might do something like a like an extra pause at the bottom to make sure. So if like my knees get a little achy on something like a hack squat, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm shifting some tension to the patella tendons rather than keeping that on the quads where I want it. Um, and then, and another thing I'll utilize is just deloads in general. 
um, meaning, or excuse me, deloads from a different stimulus perspective. So I might do something like uh, five weeks of hypertrophy and then three weeks of metabolic programming where I'm using lesser, less loads, uh, incomplete rest, for example. Um, and then maybe I'll hop back into a hypertrophy program after that. This is good. Cause like, I think, I think this is going to take us down. This is going to take us down a little then, bit. Of a- yeah. We can get into even like a little bit more of a rabbit hole. Uh, and this is kudos to, you know, N1 education and coach Cassim for this stuff, but like muscle lengths definitely play a role in how much damage you're accruing. So if you're doing something like a, like a pendulum squat or a, even a barbell squat, you know, that's loading depending on the structure of the person loading more of that length and position of your quads. So that creates more muscular damage for sure. You know, if right. you do two sets of a, a squat versus two sets of a leg extension, you do those on separate days, you're definitely going to notice a difference in the stimulus that you get. Right. So it is harder to, to fully shorten a muscle. So right. it's more metabolically taxing. So you might go from something like a, a five-week phase where you're doing a lot of like lengthened and mid-lengthened movements, and then you go into a metabolic phase for two, three weeks, and maybe you're only using short muscle positions to drive less inflammation, less muscle damage, and more metabolic factors. And honestly, that's probably something that me personally and my programming, I would majorly benefit from because again i've i've i i I can get i can fall into the like all right like i need to squat every week and like i need to like deadlift and like i need to do these things and it's like even in this cycle like i the 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 block i just wrote for myself like like all right i'm gonna throw a trap bar deadlifts out because like i can just i can feel the fatigue man like you know i can feel how much it takes to recover from and it's and and especially if i'm doing it I mean, pr- pretty much all the way through, man. Any any kind of scheme for me, like three to fucking ten on a trap bar deadlift, I can load it pretty heavy and like get through it. Um, but it's so it's so fatiguing. So like you know, throwing those out the window, adding in RDLs um, as 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 my main yeah. hinge. Like was just, but like a, go for it. That's that's a really good point right there, especially if you're going for like hypertrophy in general. You're trying to uh, use something like a deadlift and you're doing a trap bar deadlift. Like, you know, the, usually those trap bars are elevated a little bit off the ground. You can load those pretty damn good. You're going to carry a lot of systemic fatigue from that. So doing something like an RDL where maybe you cut the load at maybe at 75% or something like that. Yes. Uh, that's definitely going to open up more, more, uh, fatigue for you to play around with in other areas of your training. Right now. I, I just want to get your, because in the past when I've done, you know, certain programs, you know, even some of like, uh, you know, Joe DeFranco stuff and like different things like that, like there are like programmed deloads in the training. And I think there's some different schools of thought on this. And like, I'm, again, I'm kind of in this, I'm kind of in this situation where, you know, yeah, like I, I do like to concurrently train, but the one thing that I've noticed, and again, like obviously for me, like I'm always going to have like some sort of like concurrent style, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of, a little bit of at least extensive plyos just for Achilles, ankle, foot, you know, that kind of stuff, um, you know, sprinkled throughout the week. Um, I mean, we were actually just doing like some uh, some mobility shit that we kind of saw like just t-spine and like a couple of the drills i did like clay was doing them like super smoothly and like i'm like god damn i suck at this like i need to feed in you know so a little bit more rotation here or like you know just do maybe a little bit more for lack of a better term prehab type you know shit like i i'm finding that even my my getting into a couch stretch right now, my rec fem is like hurting. Like it hurts to be in a couch stretch. So it's like, you know, I need to do a little bit more of that and potentially like set up my Bulgarian split squats. Like you taught me how to set up Bulgarian split squats where you're really getting that back, that back, um, 
foot um, dorsi flexed into that pad. So you're getting mm-hmm. that big stretch in your rec fem when you're actually training that training that movement. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I guess like what, I, what I'm, what I'm kind of getting, getting to with, with, with the deload thing is like kind of how, and like, or I guess like, cause again, I think there is some, there's some different schools of thought on this, like where like some of the people that I follow that are doing a lot of concurrent based stuff will say like, you never, you don't need to deload if you program correctly. And again, I, I probably just suck at programming for myself, like where like I understand, you know, accumulation of intensity and volume for, you know, everyday people and like even athletes. But like, sometimes I throw myself into something that's like <laughs> just balls to the wall. Yep. Um, yep. Because that's just how I'm, but like, um, I guess what's your take on like, even if you're, do, if you are doing a little bit more of a concurrent style of, of training now, right now, like, again, I'm, you know, whatever concurrent, but like most of my stuff is like, hypertrophy stuff you know i'm not doing anything in a super low rep range more neurological based stuff like um but i mean what what is your take on deloads do you think people should potentially take and i I, let me let me clarify i guess like more people who maybe are a little bit more advanced and are just potentially a little bit stronger and like can produce more outputs do you think they should be taking a deload every three to five weeks because like i have noticed in the past when I do take like a deload week or just even do like something like a one by 20, you know, two or three days that next week or something like, which is a deload again, like that's, you know, I'm, I'm not doing as much, I'm not doing as much volume, not, not doing a ton of intensity. Um, like what is your, just what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I would say like, you know, beginners, intermediate type of people, typically don't need to be doing deloads every four, three, five weeks, you know, sure. Cause they, they, like you said, they're not as neurologically efficient. They can't recruit a whole lot of muscle tissue to do a squat, to do a press, to do a pull. Uh, so they're not going to generate quite as much fatigue. So what I kind of like to do is typically like, depending on how the phase is set up three to one, four to one, five to one paradigm, uh, you know, three weeks of accumulating volume, one week deload, but the deload and, and my coaching is always just like kind of a question mark. So, you know, especially if I'm just starting out working with a client, it's like, okay, you're on a four week phase with a, with a deload. We get to that four weeks and they're like, I have no signs that I need a deload. I have no fatigue when I wake up, joints feel really good. Okay, let's go ahead and let's repeat that zero RIR week and let's go ahead and do that again for week five. And then they're like, okay, yep, I got some fatigue markers. All right, let's go ahead and either go ahead and go and do a deload if they feel like they need to have that full week of recovery. Sometimes I like to implement what I call a reload where maybe they did a hypertrophy program for five weeks and they're going to go back into another hypertrophy program for another three to five weeks that first week would be maybe four RIR. So we're kind of treating it as a deload. Maybe they have some movement variation in there that they can play around with how those movements feel for them, get a feel for them before they start pushing intensity on that. Um, and then of course, for more advanced individuals, I'll just use different stimuli for deloading. Um, so I wouldn't even consider it a deload, but just a deload from the current uh, stimulus that they're getting. So if you're, they're doing mechanical tension, it's like, all right, you've been in mechanical tension for 10 weeks, man. Like we got to turn this button off, resensitize you. And there's another pathway that we can go through cell swelling, metabolic stress that we're going to try to get some adaptations that might be even limiting you in your potential for how much muscle you can grow. Uh, so we'll dip into that, resensitize you, get some benefits, get some local adaptations and then pull you out and then get you back into a hypertrophy program. If the goal is hypertrophy. How long would one of those reloads last? Would you do like a week or does it kind of, does it kind of depend on? Yeah, it's usually just a week. Gotcha. Um, Almost like, you know, if it's a, you know, you go three, two, one RIR or something like that, then you would just say, okay, you're going to start this week at four and then you're going to go three, two, one, zero. Gotcha. Well, yeah. I, I, that, and that makes sense, you know, where again, Especially you're kinda... like if, 
from making like big movement variations, then I'm like, okay, yeah, let's definitely do the reload. So you can get another week under your belt of kind of learning that movement if it hasn't been in for a while. Right. No, that makes sense. But that's good. But that's good. And I mean, I, I think for me, I find myself, you know, getting to, you know, whatever week three or week four on, on certain training blocks that I've written for myself sometimes. And I'm like dead. And I'm like, you yeah. know, I start to get the, and, and I, I, I'm, I, I know for a fact you've been there, not only the joint, my joint pain really like, I get some elbow stuff sometimes from training, but most of my, most of my like tendon stuff is just from like the jumping and the fucking playing basketball. I'm trying to be, you know, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Fucking dunker. Um, I, I don't get but like, like even, I think like, like hypertrophy people and people in powerlifting and people who don't do plyos and stuff like that need to be implementing that stuff from time to time, whether it's just like from a movement prep perspective, like, shit uh, like even though i'm not you know trying to dunk a basketball or anything like that i still want to be able to run around in the grass and play games and shit like that so it's like just because i'm super focused on hypertrophy doesn't mean i i don't do some sort of jumping um some sort of rotational work um movement prep in general because i want to just stay as healthy as possible and be able to do this shit for as long as i can too yeah. So. And realistically, I think that, you know, a, it feels good to do some of that shit where, whether again, like, yeah. is it, is it really, you know, you hear people talk like, I don't ever stretch and I don't ever do this. And I don't, and, and like, th- again, like totally cool. Like that's to each their own, but like, you know, I, I don't even need a ton of like studies and research papers to tell me that like this mobility stuff feels good and is making me feel better potentially and maybe like if it is like a you know a t-spine rotation against the wall or something like that maybe i am getting a little bit more range of motion with it because i am you know feeding a little bit more rotation and i'm doing it consistently enough to get a little bit of an adaptation and like that can't be bad you know what i'm saying like that that, that, it doesn't seem there's you're right. Cause like, there's a lot of people out there who just like, like to look at the the research and then shit on everything. Like they shit on people who stretch on people who use, you know, foam rollers and things like that. And it's like, okay, it might not work um, per what the literature says, but if your client or somebody who's using that gets even a little bit of a mental boost, because it's, it's almost like taking, taking a, you know, magnesium, right? Taking a, a supplement, like the research on that, all of that stuff is, it's still pretty new. And I think a lot of it has to do with placebo effect. So if you think 100%. it's helping you, it probably is. Bingo. Well, and that's like, you know, you look at some of these systems like FRC, you know, and, you know, the, the, the countless other systems that are, you know, for quote unquote mobility and and that kind of stuff, like, you know, what I've found with people in the past and like people that I know that have used even that system specifically or some of these other systems, like, and, you know, they're like, they swear by it. It's like, like you said, I think the biggest thing is like the fact that they're bought in and they think that they like up here, like, they, and I mean, obviously like we haven't even tapped into like, uh, our the, the power of what's between our ears you know our, our our brain and and like the the just just how much your thoughts and feelings and perceptions can um can be expressed through your, your body and your movement and your physicality yeah. um so like yeah i mean I, I i just think you know again that's 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 one of the things that probably pisses me off about like the industry and like you know that that certain people that like bash this or that or like it's like you know hey like you know calm down like i'm working with you know 40 and 50 year old clients that like they foam roll their upper back and it just makes them feel better (laughs) yep yep but yeah um (laughs) Yeah. So the, the, the deload thing, that's, that was, that was, that was, that's good. 
Um, I guess now, I guess for, for you and, and your training, we, we still, we still haven't done an intro. I guess we'll just do that like separately for you and then I'll cut it and just put it at the beginning of the podcast. So you can talk about like your background and like, uh, who you are. <laughs> but, um, so I guess for, 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 for you, for your programming or like for, you know, maybe some of your, your advanced clients or maybe intermediate clients, like how do you like to, I guess, how do what, what is your ratio between like the different kind of phases that you will, that you will run? I mean, obviously it's probably goal specific. If somebody, you know, obviously has more of a hypertrophy goal or a strength goal or whatever, but like, you know, how long are you staying in, a hypertrophy state, a, a hypertrophy phase. How long do you stay in more of a metabolic type of phase? How long do you stay in more of a neuro phase? And I mean, obviously like, you know, just saying these things out loud, like I can kind of start to maybe get an idea, you know, obviously like mm-hmm. a neuro phase is probably going to be more systemically fatiguing a, and obviously there's a lot of research too that's coming on like, you know, higher, higher rep type of training and more, I guess, metabolic training can be pretty fatiguing as well. And if you're pushing, mm-hmm. you know, mechanical stress, like <laughs> that can be fatiguing too. But so just, just talk about some of these things and in, in your experience and like with, with your, with your background. Yeah. I, I would say the majority, like if I'm working with a, an advanced athlete who is wanting to put on muscle tissue, the majority of their training is going to be hypertrophy. Um, typically those will last somewhere between three to five. Occasionally what I'll end up doing is with, uh, essentially just taking like the entire block and it might be something like 12 to 16 weeks. And then they spend like eight to 10 weeks in hypertrophy. And then they might have something that's more metabolic. And then metabolic of course is going to have shorter rest periods. They're going to be using lighter loads and they're going to be using higher reps um, to accumulate all that cell swelling and metabolic stress. And typically those will last between sometimes one, one week. Um, that might be like that AMPK using incomplete rest. Could be two weeks with AMPK. Um, but typically I'd say it's in that three to four uh, weeks. Uh, the way that I have been structuring some of my metabolic stuff, uh, I've been experiencing this myself, but um, I will eventually end up hitting a wall uh, around that like week three mark. Um, and I'll just preemptively deload de- from there. Uh, the strength programming, it kind of depends on the person and how they're responding to it. Um, but generally, those will be between four, six, and eight weeks. Sometimes they'll be, if they're eight weeks, we will have some sort of deload in the middle to touch up on potential like rate limiters for that person. So, for example, myself, I am horrible at clearing lactic. I'm absolutely terrible at it. I could do like a 30 second sprint on the echo bike and I could easily throw up. Um, so doing some local metabolic stuff, I have, uh, some issues with that. So I, I will plug that in for myself more often. Gotcha. Okay. We got a visitor too. Yeah, I saw. Um, okay. All right. Um, I noticed, I've noticed with, with your program, with your programming too, just some of the stuff that you shared. Um, and I'm, I, for whatever reason, I like training four days a week. It's just like, I, I I don't know if it's because of habit or, or what, but like, I've noticed that you, you like to throw in basically like if you're doing it, like a, upper lower type of a split and those lower days. And I've heard you, I think I've heard you talk about this where like, you'll talk about like, you know, if you're doing just an all lower body day, like that can be a pretty fatiguing adventure. Like how do you typically like to like to kind of split up your training just in general, again, you, you, you can go through like each kind of like, category strength, you know, neuro hypertrophy metabolic, or you can just kind of talk it generally hypertrophy, but just like, how do you like to, how do you like to split, split things up 
typically to like get the best SFR, I guess. Yeah. I mean, typically it depends on how many days that person's willing to commit to. Sure. I mean, I have some people who commit to three days. Some are like, I'm ready to do seven. Uh, I won't do that. Um, but in terms of that lower body day, just being extremely fatiguing, there's a few things that I will do. Uh, so the first thing is just really simple, right? So like, let's say you have, uh, you're training four times a week, you're doing upper lower, you would just put your lower session at the end there so that you could take a day off before you get back into the back half of the week for upper lower again. And then, you know, you could have that Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday would be lower Wednesday off and then upper lower again, lower would be on Friday. Then you take Saturday, Sunday off. So maybe you make like one of your most systemically fatiguing leg days on Friday so that you get two rest days after that. So that's a really easy way to do it. Adam, (laughs) you just, I just, I mean, like something as dumb and as simple as that. And again, like, I don't, I don't, I personally don't have anybody that's training four days a week. Everybody I coach, I have some that even do just twice a week. Um, But like, even my, even my hybrid people that like come and see me in person and then I'll program for them like on their own. They, they like that three day a week, you know, kind of like, you know, full body type of type of training but like for myself yeah i have always because because like in high school going back to high school (laughs) monday was always like a heavy back squat and it was like monday run day at football and we would do like it was just the dumbest shit like you know for from a football perspective like it was like lift for an hour and then go outside and do fucking bleachers and like a bunch of box jumps to failure and battle ropes. And then we'd end and run fucking 10, three hundreds, you know, like till we fucking yeah. were dead. So just like two completely different systems. Like you go in and, and strength train for an hour and then basically fucking throw it all away with an, uh, an hour of aerobic shit <laughs> anyway. But like my, I'm, I'm always, I'm still programmed to train lower body on Monday. Like, <laughs> Every Monday, for whatever I know what reason, I'm the- like we kind of did the same thing where we would bench on Mondays and Thursdays, and it took me like six to eight years to to break that habit. Like I would always bench on Monday, always on Thursday, always squat on Tuesday and Friday, just because. I mean, shit, we did that for five, six years with football. It just makes it makes so much sense to for especially like now in my life with like, again, I do enjoy like kind of an upper lower split or like kind of splitting much, but like it makes too much sense. Like to like train my upper body session on a Monday train, obviously my, my lower on a Tuesday. So I have that day, like you said, like you have a day off the next day to, to recover. And then again, like that upper body set, obviously like your upper body sessions, they're not as fatiguing as your lower body sessions. And then you have two days after that session on Friday. Like that makes so much sense. And like so just something as silly as that, like people, people like hearing this, like, you know, if you are specifically somebody who, you know, I'm still coaching a good amount in person, like have decent amount of life stress, like have, have a daughter, have another child on the way, you know, like I have life outside of just, you know, I'm, it's not, I'm not 22 years old anymore like where i could just go to the gym whenever i wanted and slam pre-workout and you know sleep till noon every day or you know whatever like that's that's not how it works anymore so i mean that's just that that makes so much sense so much sense there's another way that you can do it that i've really really love to utilize um, especially on some of like the really fatiguing systems that i use for programming so like let's say you do have another you would call the upper lower half body split right so we're splitting that in half so you could also do another half body split where maybe it's monday you do all of your pulling so you do like hamstrings and back biceps and then on tuesday you would do quads chest and delts so all of your pushing and what you could do with something like that is maybe on monday you do your rdls or your deadlifts or whatever it is that is your main hinge movement for hamstrings and glutes. And then maybe Tuesday, since you're carrying a decent amount of fatigue from that, maybe you do something like a leg, leg extension or uh, a leg press or something that's not like loading your spine for your quads. 
Right. And then you get into the back half of the week, maybe on Thursday, you would do like a seated hamstring curl, lying hamstring curl, glute bridge, fill in some maybe short position work uh, for the posterior chain. And then on your Friday, you're not going to be carrying a whole lot of fatigue from the leg curl or the glute bridge on Thursday. So then Friday, you make that your, your uh, squatting day. Mm -hmm. So run through that again. So like, so, so Monday would be like Monday would be, would be pushing stuff, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't do like a heavier squat on a Monday. So you, you could do, uh, I think what I had said was Monday pulling, but you could do Monday. Okay. Monday. Monday pushing. So if you did push on Monday, you'd be hitting chest delts and you'd be hitting quads. So maybe you just start your day or your week off and you're like, I really want to have big quads. So you do your hack squat there or your barbell squat or your compound quad movement. And then Tuesday, you make that all of your pulling. So then you have hamstrings, glutes, back, biceps. And because you're carrying fatigue from loading your spine, maybe you did barbell squat on Monday. Then on Tuesday, maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to do like a leg curl. I'm going to do a uh, lying hamstring curl. Maybe it's a glute bridge. And then you have that Wednesday off. You get back into your Thursday, and that would be your pushing all again. And then you fill in the gaps where you didn't hit some of your quad movements on Monday. Maybe you do leg extension, and then that opens you up for more fatigue to play with on Friday. And that would be your deadlift session. Does that make sense? Kind of. Yeah. It does. I mean, it's just, again, it's just, re it's just reorganizing your training to potentially have a better SFR. Is that, am I? Yes. Yes. And I think that right there is a really good take home point right there. Uh, this, you know, split is not magical in any way. A split is just a way to allocate volume and you can allocate volume in so many different ways. So, you know, something right now that I've seen in the, uh, hypertrophy realm is people talking about the push pull legs and how it's like just a horrible split and all this stuff. But if you allocate volume, however you want, I mean, you can make that split pretty fantastic. Sure. Um, so I think a lot of people get caught up in like, oh, the best split, the most optimal split. But I mean, in all honesty, they've they've had some some things that have shown that if you match volume allocation across the week, whether you do all of your volume on Monday or you do your volume on Monday and Friday, uh, as long as volume is the same, you're going to have pretty much the same response. But of course, we now know about stimulus to fatigue. So it's like if you got 12 sets of quads, man, I don't know if I'd be doing all of that on one day. I'd probably be, you know, playing with frequency to my advantage so that I can make the most out of each set. And is that how is that how you like to kind of split up your now? I know I, I don't know how many days you're training right now, but is that typically how you like to split up your training is like to try to allocate vault, you know, so again, you're doing you're not just doing all upper body on a day you're not just doing all lower body on a day or do you have certain blocks of training where you potentially are doing that kind of stuff yeah i'll have certain blocks like right now my block is like a modified push pull legs um, but the next block i'm going to get into will be the half body split uh, where i'm only training four times a week just because sometimes like especially when my business kind of starts to ramp up I will just step back from training five times a week because it's extremely time consuming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely will play a little bit of that, especially if I have different priorities. Uh, so, you know, if I have a priority of being like, okay, I'm going to grow my delts and my back, I'm probably not going to be training delts uh, only once a week. Uh, I can probably get away with doing that two, three maybe four times um, if I stick with this certain block or this certain uh, split and add in volume where I see fit. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting, man, because there's so many, you know, obviously there's so much in the industry on like, you know, splits and like things have to be like exactly like this. And again, like you said, like the, 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 the data shows that like it, as long as volume is 
equated for. It doesn't really matter how you split that up over the week. Now, I guess that gets into my kind of my next question is like, how do you go about like tracking? Um, I, I guess for yourself and for clients, like landmarks for optimal volume and uh, intensity and like SFR and, and, and like, how do you go about, how do you go about looking at those kind of things like on a week by week and on a block by block basis? I will track sets per week. Per muscle, uh, so per muscle, per, like volume. per muscle, per muscle group. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I'll track, um, you know, I'll use the volume landmarks that are out there, you know, somewhere in that six to eight sets per week for yep. big muscle groups. And then like yep. maybe four to six sets per smaller muscle groups. Um, and then of course, over time with working with somebody, we might say, holy cow, like you can absolutely trash your biceps in four sets. Like you probably don't need the 10 sets that this other guy is, is using. And he does, doesn't have the same connection point to his biceps like that. Um, now I will say like, I have attempted to like track volume, uh, like really specifically across blocks, across, uh, hypertrophy, across metabolic, across neuro, and then that shit just gets really messy. Um, and I think that like, we, we don't need to be tracking that stuff so heavily that because everybody's going to respond a little bit differently, especially if you have different movements in there, you know, and we know that, you know, people can't run the same movements constantly all the time. Right. Um, excuse me. And, uh, I think then people start getting so focused on numbers. They're like, okay, I'm at, you know, 12 sets of arms this week, like, or 12 sets of quads. Like I better be really, really systemically fatigued after this week. Um, and then of course it just depends. Right. So like, you know, if somebody's doing two sets of back squat and then they got um, four sets of leg extensions, three sets of uh, leg, whatever it happens to be, all is going to be dependent upon you know, how you allocate that volume. Cause you're going to be taking way more fatigue from the back loading than you are from the leg extensions. So, uh, another thing I kind of like to do is I will, uh, track, let's say like pushing movements, like you're doing a dumbbell press. I track that as stimulus for the pecs, for the front delts and for the triceps, um, for pulling movements, I'll do the same thing unless it's, uh, you know, you take away some of the uh, elbow flexion or extension, like you take away um, and you're doing a lat pull over, you know, you're doing something yeah. like that. You're taking yeah. away the bicep, the elbow flexors, right? You're doing a fly, a cable fly. You're taking away the uh, triceps. Um, so there's just a couple little nuanced things there. Um, and again, you know, if you're doing four sets of a dumbbell press, uh, you're, you're getting a lot of stimulus on those triceps. On the so triceps, you really need right. to do five, 10 sets of triceps afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I had that conversation with actually one of my clients that was like, Hey, like, you know, you had, you only had one set of triceps in this week. And I was like, yeah, well we're doing like, you're doing pressing every day, like three days a week, you're doing some sort of press where you're extending your elbow, like you're using your triceps a lot. So like, that's why we're only doing one set of tricep extensions or overhead, tri you know, one set of isolated tricep extensions. Like there's no point to, 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 to do this in, in excess. So that, 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 that definitely makes sense. And it's like, yeah, this is just, this is so good. Um, I guess my, the, the next, the next thing, you know, I know we're, we probably got about 10 minutes left or so, but like what, um, I, I guess to kind of talk about there, I want to get into one like kind of specific thing with you. Cause I'm, 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 I'm not as experienced with, with just the, the, the metabolic type of programming for like one of your general fitness clients what does that just give me a give me a snapshot of like what that would generally look like like are you pairing exercise are you going to pair like a you know like a uh maybe a squat with a with a row or a, a squat with a pool or are you going to do 
just just how does that how does that look how does that look from a from a programming perspective if we're just, if we're just saying like somebody who's training two or three days a week um just like a a, a, yeah. a, 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 a training day what's that what would that generally look like so generally like with metabolic we have to think it's just like a window or excuse me an umbrella and then right. under that umbrella we have all these different types of metabolic programs so this is some of the stuff I've pulled from, from CASM at N1. Um, so like there's a systemic type of programming that I'll utilize. Um, so that's just like global conditioning, um, gluconeogenesis. You go through kind of uh, liver health because you're, you're essentially training your liver through this process. So because uh, you're creating a, a large amount of lactic acid. Um, so you're using density. So systemic programming might be something like we used in football, right? So you might do something like a back squat. You're using quads, erectors, and glutes. And then you pair that with a pull-up. So you're getting a lot of upper back, lats, biceps, elbow flexors, core, et cetera. Right. Uh, so systemic programming is something I utilize to touch up on just aerobic capacity, global conditioning in general. And that would just be supersets between muscle groups that are maybe antagonistic. They don't play a, a big role with each other. Um, and you're getting large amounts of muscle tissue to work in a shorter period of time. So um, I'll use I'll use that to touch up on global conditioning. And then there's another one that we utilize, which is a. Uh, more local conditioning, a couple of different ways to go about that. But we talked about the incomplete rest method right. and um, they call it more like AMPK is what it is. So you might do eight sets of eight on leg extension. You might have a 30 second rest. That's going to be more metabolically demanding. It's going to create more um, lactic acid. It's more local, it's more local to your quadriceps versus the other scenario with the two supersets. Right. Um, not quite as local, right? More right. global in, in general. Um, so then you can kind of get into uh, some more of the, the nuance here with like hypertrophy. Uh, so this kind of blends into hypertrophy, but there's two types of hypertrophy. Um, so there's functional hypertrophy and non-functional. So functional just meaning like you're going to get stronger with it. Um, that would be like your, your six, six to eight reps, you know, maybe you're doing tens, you're going to get stronger in time. Um, and then like the non-functional type is, is what they call like a high, uh, a sarcoplasmic hypertrophy program. Yep. So that's actually where you will, you will get local adaptations from that. So, um, you wouldn't want to, you know, do like an AMPK into something sarcoplasmic, uh, but sarcoplasmic might be something like, we'll just use the squat example you would do a squat and then you'd go into a leg extension. So then you're driving more of that metabolic adaptation because you're finishing that movement in the short position or finishing that set in the short position. Um, so those are some of the different ways that we utilize metabolic conditioning. Um, and then of course, like, you know, sled drives, battle ropes, um, anything, what's that, uh, eccentric, uh, K box. Yeah. The K box. K -box. Yep. Uh, so like anything that you can utilize the echo bike or you can produce a shit ton of contractions where there's no eccentric load, then you're not going to be creating as much muscular damage and you're creating more metabolic byproduct. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, now do I think that like, these programs need to be like, people need to be running these programs like highly specific. No, not necessarily depends on the person's training age, but um, it can help you keep your training organized with long-term clients for sure. Um, right. But sometimes I'll utilize programs that are like hybrids. Uh, so maybe I want to touch up on global conditioning, but I also want to touch up on local conditioning. So maybe the first half of their session is big muscle group supersets. And then we end the session with uh, like the six by six or six by eight. Um, so they, they get both of those adaptations. Got it. Yeah. And I think that's something, that's something that I would like to start utilizing in like some blocks for, for clients. Um, you know, just a, like some of my clients, they just, they like to move, they like to move quickly. They don't like, 
taking extended rests, which they benefit tremendously from taking extended rests because they don't ever do it. They don't ever train for like, you know, those kind of strength and more hypertrophy gains. Um, But like even just running like a three week block or even a four, I guess, will you do a four week block with something, with something like that, with more of a metabolic or would you keep it, keep it pretty, would you keep it shorter? Would you keep it at closer to three or does it just depend? I guess. Usually closer to three. Um, That's what I have ran some plasmic hypertrophy programs for four weeks. Uh, But I do notice that the fatigue accumulation hits people like the end of week three, middle of week three. And then, yeah, I haven't, I haven't ran a four week on that. Systemic is extremely inflammation. So doing like the global conditioning stuff, like three weeks and that's it. AMPK stuff, like the more local, um, get in and get out six by six stuff, usually like one or two weeks on something okay. like that. And then uh, what about, yeah, it's, it's, if, it, if it's like a, if it's like a hybrid kind of like you talked about, would, would you, would you between two and three weeks, you would say there? Yeah, between two and three weeks. And and to your point, like with, with some of your clients to just like to move and stuff, like learning some of these things, it's just, it's extremely fun and engaging, not only for like the fitness professional, but it's also engaging for the client. Um, and again, can be, you can utilize some of these tools to teach people like how to train closer to failure. Um, so it's pretty enjoyable. Right, right. okay, cool. Um, I guess just the last piece is like, exercise selection stuff like what are what are your favorite exercise selections for you know just i guess big patterns squat hinge single leg pushing pulling and like different planes and different muscle groups like kind of kind of break that down um specifically like for and again you can kind of go with with you and for and for your 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 general fitness clients yeah. So, you know, general fitness clients, like, especially if I'm training in person, they're training one, two, three times a week. We're definitely going to be utilizing just big bang movements, you know, trying to get as much muscle tissue to work in, as possible. These people usually are rather sedentary, you know, um, so just trying to get them to, to move and burn as many calories while also getting a hypertrophy stimulus is definitely going to be what I utilize for, for the, that general population. Um, and then without getting too into the specifics of exercise selection, but generally like metabolic stuff, you're going to be training closer to failure on those. Uh, so generally like more of a stable environment is going to be safer. Um, hypertrophy stuff, again, stability is huge here so that you can make sure that you're putting the tension on the intended muscle groups that you want to. Um, and then of course we can get into the kind of like hitting all of the muscle lengths when you are, uh, doing hypertrophy stuff, you don't have to always hit all the muscle lengths, but within, you know, your hypertrophy programming, whether that's a couple different blocks, uh, but making sure that, you know, you are hitting, um, you know, we know that having more range of motion for a muscle is going to benefit for, uh, from a hypertrophy perspective. So, you know, if you're doing curls with your arms by your side all the time and you can't figure out why your arms aren't growing, uh, well, first I'd look at execution, but, uh, you can utilize different, different, uh, muscle positions for your biceps. You know, it's just the same thing as, as for your legs, you can do a squat, which is more lengthened. You can do a leg extension, which is more shortened. Um, and then what's cool is once you kind of figure out, okay, all of these different umbrellas that we have, the neuro, the hypertrophy and the metabolic, now we can start saying, okay, what movements fit this stimulus the best, the best. right? So if you have the systemic programming, you're working on global conditioning, that might be a really good spot to put a pull up in because there's a lot of muscle tissue working at once. Might be a really good spot to put a barbell squat in because you're going to have a lot of muscle tissue working at once. But if we look at something more like a hypertrophy program, okay, hypertrophy, uh, well, doing a barbell squat might not be the best things. We're not going to be pushing those quads to muscular failure. It's probably going to be your erectors before that, that are going to fatigue out. So maybe a pick and a hack squat on the uh, hypertrophy program might be better and picking like a straight bar upper back pull down uh, for your upper back might be much better. Um, so that's some of the ways that I will uh, go about selecting exercises. No, but that's, that's really good. That's really good. And that's, you know, I think that's a, that could be a super big, 
take home point for for people is to like kind of look at those you know kind of those three general categories and again select exercises depending on what you know what kind of phase or what kind of block you're trying to you you know you're trying to run and figure out what your you know what's going to be your best sfr for you know something that's more you know obviously for for strength for hypertrophy or for kind of like that metabolic effect that we were talking about dude i think we could probably talk for like another hour i mean i could i could i could probably keep grilling you but um we uh unfortunately yeah yeah, unfortunately we're both uh we're both fairly busy so um first of all tell everybody where they can find you and um all of your all of your work and then we'll do a little intro because we kind of just got right into it because that's just what we do can you hear me yeah i can hear you now did you catch all of that (laughs) uh no, but uh, you guys can find me on Instagram at Adam Neth. That's N-E-T-H. You can find the uh, garage gym or our studio training uh, at Lift Lab, L-I-F-T-E-L-A-B. Uh, then my website is adamneth.com. Dude, beautiful. That's perfect. Adam, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, man.